This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to start here. Mike Schreiner, um, he decided yesterday, I, I will admit almost driving into the guardrails in good weather when I heard on Alex Pearson's show that he was potentially, I, I, they got the story right, but the idea that he was he was going to announce that he was crossing over to the Liberal Party. Um. It's not the, that I had information that that contradicted that. I just never thought that he would. And I think this was the only decision he could make. I do think there's room down the road to jump to another party, but I wouldn't have seen it being the liberals. And I do think there's potential to govern and be part of a cabinet at some point in time. But I think it was too much, too fast. Um, I don't think that he would have won. And then where's he left at that point? It's really tough to go back after that. You're with one party or you're not. That's just how it's supposed to work. So I I think this was a dysfunctional concept from the get-go. But, you know, you know where I am on it. And I didn't think he would do it. Um, There's too much to reconcile where he lands on health care right now, which is just the hottest topic imaginable in this province. School boards. Um, not too many people within the Ontario Liberal Party has sa- have said, let's basically, uh, well, well, not literally, let's figuratively blow up the separate school board system and have one school board. Now, that is an interesting conversation. That's a financially prudent conversation as well. But that's news to the Ontario Liberals that that'd be a policy they'd be adopting. So either he has to compromise who he is or the Liberal Party has to compromise who they are. And I just didn't see a happy marriage there. And then there's the environment. And then there's what we do with green energy. And then there's telling people what they should be doing about the environment, chastising them almost, making them feel guilty, making them feel anxiety, making them feel panic. And then there's what the Ontario Liberals really need to do is have the kitchen table conversations about, well, putting food on that same kitchen table about making homes affordable, about having more options for homes. Um, There's a lot of work to do that's outside of the bubble of Toronto. It was too much. It was absolutely too much. And also, I'll say this. The NDP are organized enough right now. They're not a mess. They're not dysfunctional. There's no chaos. That They know who they wanted their leader to be. The Greens just can't grab four to five extra seats and build on something. They, They can't do that right now. So the Greens can't sort of feed off and and cannibalize elements of the NDP. The NDP right now, I know they lost nine seats in the last election, are a little too organized and they're well-led, okay? It doesn't mean they're going to get everything right. No party is. But the Liberals were in power 15 years, 15 years, and now they have eight seats. They won't get to 65 next election, and they were certainly not going to do it on something that I would have regarded more as a gimmick. I can't get Mike Schreiner to say that at 7.30 when he joins me, but I, I do I do still believe that this was ill-timed, ill-conceived, and this, to be fair, and to be, you know, it's going to be harsh sometimes. Politics is going to be harsh. This letter was put together by a group of has-beens and never worse. There's nobody of significance on that letter that I go, huh, we should probably listen to that person. Oh, she's lost three straight elections. Sounds like she's really influential within the party. Well, he was a cabinet minister um, back before, uh, you know, not before electricity, but let's just even say before electric cars. So, no, there wasn't a lot of uh, there weren't a lot of heavy hitters on that sheet for the liberals. And by the way, let me tell you this. Ford's disappointed Schreiner didn't take the gig. He'll never say it. 
He'll never hint at it, but he's disappointed. He wanted the liberals to be desperate. And if you look desperate, you are desperate. That's how politics goes. It felt gimmicky. It felt desperate. And now the liberals, by the way, um, those who sent the letter, they're kind of cut off from having a real voice. They should never have done this unless they were more certain that Shriner would accept. We'll talk to him about it coming up at 6.30. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now, and uh, she noted this, and I saw it also. It's the number one story on Global News' website, and it has to do with a British girl who's been missing, in essence, for 15 and a half years, and someone is claiming to be here. This is right out of, I don't know if this is out of Murder, She Wrote, or a CSI or something that's got a little more intrigue. What's that British detective show with Idris Elba? But it's something of that nature. It is. So, I mean, and when you, a lot of parents, when you say the name Madeline McCann, you know that name. Mm-hmm. She was a three-year-old girl who went missing in 2007 when she was on a vacation in Portugal with her parents. Uh, they were at a nearby restaurant on the resort, and they had put her and her siblings and a couple of the other kids in their group to bed in their room. Uh, but the door of their room, they could see the windows of the room, but the door was on the other side. They came back to the room and she was missing. This was an international uh, investigation and they never found her. So a woman has come forward, uh, a Polish woman has come forward, and she claims that she suspects she's Madeline McCann. Uh, she's been looking at these pictures. She says she identifies with her. There are certain features about her face and her eyes. Uh, there's a certain condition that Madeline had on her eye. Uh, with her, I guess her her pupil. This woman has the same thing. Her name is she's her name's Julia Wendell. She has come forward right now. The family has not said anything, but they have asked her to take a DNA test. I believe she has taken one. The family or the London police have not come forward and made any kind of a statement yet. But it's a very interesting case because this this is this case alone in this situation. I remember I was a I wasn't a mom at the time. Yeah. Uh, but I remember having children after that, thinking. I am never leaving them. This is oh, your worst nightmare. When you're on vacation. What are the, oh, you'll never go on vacation. You'll never check into a hotel. <laughs> I'll, or turn I'll always back go on them. vacation, <laughs> but I will never leave my children alone in that room. Even if I can see it, even if I can see the door, you just never know. Uh, what I so, didn't know was there were th- there have been three other women that have claimed to be Madeline McCann before. Did you know that this was there's one in 2017 no, I didn't know that. who was a Manchester university student in Manchester. Uh, said the, she had the same mole on her right thigh as the little girl. And she wrote on Twitter, guys, I don't usually believe in conspiracy theories. I never start a tweet with that. Um, but I honestly believe I'm Madeline McCann. I'm Madeline <laughs> McCann and I don't know what to do with myself. Um, and then she later confessed it was a joke. Ha ha. Uh. Very funny. And the, But there were two others as well. that cl- Now, I don't know what you, you get out of this if, if indeed it's deemed she's Madeline McCann. I guess there's a lot of interest. I guess there's a book. I guess you're reunited with your parents. And and we don't have a lot of yeah, answers well, as to amazing. how she ended up where she ended up. Well, her mother has probably never slept well again no. after that vacation, after that moment. So this girl, this Wendell girl, the Polish girl, she, her parents, her father, her mother, her grandmother have completely shunned her. Uh, but they've also declined to take any form of DNA testing and they won't supply her a birth certificate. That part I find interesting. Uh, yeah. And she's 21 years old. Madeline right now would have been 19 but she fears that her age may be incorrect. But, but the fact that she's so willing to do a DNA test, that she's willing to come forward, I don't Maybe she's, you never know. Maybe she had a troubled child. Maybe she went to fought with her parents and thought, I, maybe I must be adopted. And then she saw this online and thought, maybe that's me. 
or maybe something doesn't sit well with her. Yeah. I'm interested to see what, either way, this is the number one story in global news uh, online. So please go check it out. It's a fantastic story. And they've never, um, they've never found um, the, uh, there was new evidence that they tried to connect uh, a convicted rapist with the, the case of abducting her, but they weren't able to get a conviction that was just a year ago. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Look, a lot of municipalities are in exactly the same boat Toronto is. Uh, They need to build houses. They needed to build them um, yesterday plus five years ago. And right now, there's still a little bit of um, struggling and straggling to get the job done. And, uh, and, you know, municipalities from London to Hamilton are no different. And the city of Guelph is no different as well. There was an op-ed in the newspaper, uh, well, a letter sent in, let's not build Toronto-style high-rises here. And um, this is starting to transpire a fair bit. You don't always get to pick your, uh, your neighbors. I remember when I went to Western um, to go to school, there were seven of us in one house for a couple of years, and we were just really, really nice to the uh, – there was an older couple, empty nesters in their 50s, and we're like, oh, we don't want to get off on the wrong foot because from time to time, we're going to be loud, and we're going to park in the wrong spot. And we were so <laughs> – we tried to be so friendly to them, but there is a great degree in Ontario of the whole nimbyism not in my backyard business. Uh, the mayor of Guelph is Cam Guthrie, and he's kind enough to join me now on Toronto Today. Uh, Mayor, I'm a big fan. Thanks very much for coming on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, this is this is something, like I said, this is not unique to um, big cities. This is not unique at all to, um, to you know, other places beyond Ontario. There's people that say, well, we need housing and we need to build here and we need to build there. And then when you tell them, okay, we're going to do it within a, within a couple kilometers of your place or on your street or in your subdivision, somehow they um, they stiffen up and forget what they said in the first place. Yeah, you're, you're explaining it well. I, w- I would totally agree with you. And I, I think, you know, change is difficult. And it's even more difficult when you're in a crisis. And we are in a housing crisis. And when we have growth targets that the province is mandating to many of these cities, including Guelph, Uh, We are needing to really ramp up as much housing as we can, especially over the next eight to 10 years, to try to accommodate the 1.5 million homes that are to be built in Ontario over the next eight to 10 years. And so everybody has to do their part. And that includes the municipal government. But yes, it also includes you, ma'am, or you, sir, that is living on your street. Uh, You're going to see changes because we have to accommodate for that growth. Yeah, look, everybody ends up getting an opinion. I, w- I won't read the, I don't want to, you know, uh, shame the person who wrote the letter. They're, it's a democracy. It's a newspaper. They're entitled to print it. The same way you're able to respond, um, she writes, low rise is the best answer going forward. Community is important. And she's concerned that the sun and sky would be blocked out by, an, um, you know, an, like an 18 story high rise, or even if we compromise and said it's 11 or 12. I suppose there are going to people be people that feel that way, but that's not going to solve the problem. It's not. And, you know, on that specific piece of property, it's already zoned for 18 stories. And so the suggestion that it can't be any higher than five, that's just not going to work. It's like me telling the same person, I'm, I'm appreciative that you just bought a new car, but you can only sit in the rear passenger seat and do nothing. Uh, <laughs> they would push back and say, well, hold on, that's my car. And 
it, it fits five people in it, and I want to be able to drive it around. I'd be, no, you can only sit in the back passenger seat and do nothing. And so that's the way people have to start to really think about these things. When when land is used in uh, in a very uh, you know proper, sustainable way, actually. Uh, density and going up into the air is actually way better for sustainability, transportation, walkability, density within uh, within our city. And we have a lot of properties that are going to have more height to it. And that's actually a better thing in specific spots for the city. And uh, we're looking forward to it. Many people are. But with change, you're going to start to see some people say, I don't want that here. And really, at the end of the day, my problem with that is to say, you don't want certain people here. And that's why that letter also, you just read it, it said that to them, community is only defined as those with low-rise, detached type of homes. To suggest that a community can't also include people Mm -hmm. living on the 11th story of a building um, rubbed me the wrong way as well. I mentioned that earlier. Mayor Cam Guthrie is joining us uh, from uh, Guelph um, on Toronto Today. Um, do you have that tension in your um, in your city with um, student housing vis-a-vis, certain, like are there areas that are not designated for student housing, but it's just where the students prefer to live and might be close to transit, a grocery store, a bar, a gym, whatever. Um, like, like I, I wonder if that, that sort of tension is just that's in every city where there's a university or college, isn't there? Yes, it, it, there will always be that tension uh, for for that type of specific housing as well. Uh, and we've we've had that tension in Guelph. One of the things that I try to promote, though, is that if we try to put more students in purpose built student dwellings, yes, usually they are higher density in the areas close to the university, as an example, mm-hmm. it will actually free up the housing that they're renting in the, in the neighborhoods. Those students will start to have more choice, maybe move out of those neighborhoods where they are seven people to a house like you were down in uh, London. And that house now becomes available for a family to purchase and not stay as a rental. And so we need to really try to adopt housing for all. I don't care if you're homeless well i do care if you're homeless but i want you not homeless i want you in a house i want you you to start off to find great rental i want someone to be able to buy a house or a condo i don't care if you're a student an immigrant a refugee or a canadian all your life i want you to come to our city and i want you to be able to afford a place to live and the only way we're going to be able to do that right now is by increasing supply of housing units where do you see as uh, the biggest struggle? Is it simply the red tape? Is it is it developers that are willing to to put shovels in the ground? What's the big holdup? When not just in Guelph, but if you if you spread it out and, and go province wide, where are we falling down when it comes to building what we need to here? Well, it's, I think it falls on all of us, and uh, that includes me uh, when I when I say that too. I, I think we have all contributed in some way to the housing crisis that we have right now. And I think municipalities do need to figure out how to not be uh, as slow as they are and have been in trying to approve things. I believe the provincial government needs to help with uh, helping with specific uh, purpose-built rentals, social housing, or shelter systems for those in our, that are most vulnerable in our community. Uh, I believe that the federal government even has a role to play if they can also provide funding for type, specific types of housing. 
Uh, but then the community has a role to play as well in not being specifically NIMBY, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. but instead be YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. And I have really been encouraging my community to start to speak in that way, to welcome new people, to welcome these changes to our community, because you get to meet new neighbors, new create new friends, And that's the way community is built. And I've actually started to see a change in the letters, in the delegations coming to council, in the feedback from the community to actually welcome people. So it it, it is everybody has to be on board on this to try to help with uh, the housing crisis. If not, then the next generation, which happens to be the generation of my kids, I have a 20-year-old and a 19-year-old, they're not, they are going to be living in my basement for the next 10, 15 years. And I frankly love them, but I don't want that. What are those conversations like, like uh, in terms of buying a home and, and doing it themselves? They're, they're different conversations than we had with our parents because of, of just the economic reality of, of Southern Ontario right now. Okay, well, now I'm going to take off the mayor hat and talk to you straight up. Da- I want the dad hat. Here we go. I get the dad. That's great. All right, here we go. Dad Cam here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated, and I'm, I'm actually really, really concerned. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we got married young. She was, I think, 19, and I was, like, 22. And we bought our first house here. I scraped together, we scraped together $9,500 as our down payment for our first house when we got married. I remember I had to sell my baseball card collection and my drum set just to try to get enough money for that down payment. I was making $21,000 a year in a salary and my wife worked part-time at a ladies clothing store and we got a house and we worked our butts off to get it. Nowadays, I now have a son who's 20 and a daughter who's almost 19. They're at the same age that my wife and I bought our first house here and there is no way that they'll be able to find a house to buy here, let alone a $9,500 down payment. It's it's gone. It's out of reach. The dream is gone. It's turned completely into a nightmare. And I am so concerned for the next generation. And that is what we need to focus on as a community is to say the comfortably housed people, we need to start to understand what the next generation of housing is going to cost for our that next generation. Mm. And we need to rise up and say it's unacceptable and we need to do whatever we can to try to help. I'll tell you, I'll tell you really quick, your your story resonates with me. It it echoes a little bit with me and I've got a 17 year old and a 15 year old. And the way I've put it is, Hey, if you've got parents that can help and both my wife and I had our parents loan us money, help here and there um, to, to help us buy a $159,000 house in Livonia, Michigan uh, when we lived in the States. But you, you should get help from your parents. Your parents shouldn't have to sell their house so you can buy your own. And that's where we're at now. That's the scariest part of all of this. It is. I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, most people I talk to agree with me 100%. And so we just need to stop, you know, with not trying to, as I said, accept change that is inevitable and we need to think about the next generation, yeah. uh, and, and I hope that we do that. I think we will, and I'm, I'm encouraged by uh, by moving in that direction. Hey, I love the conversation, and let's have let's have more like it. Um, I, I know I know we need more mayors uh, like you throughout the province. So I appreciate you coming on this morning.
Hey, no problem. Take care. There's Cam Guthrie, uh, mayor of Guelph. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Here's where I want to go. It's Pink Shirt Day. And we gave a, uh, we do something at 720 called In or Out. And we say, it's, it's something that we tend, tends to be off the news cycle, off the beaten path a little bit. Yesterday, we could have done pancakes. We didn't. We should have. Because I, I think pancakes are a little like hot dogs. I'm not sure that's a really... That's an adult breakfast. I think you have to have three or four other things on the plate along with pancakes. Um, you make pancakes for your kids. You tend not to make them for uh, for your spouse. But either way, so you could say I'm in or out on pancakes. We, in essence, asked if you were being bullied at school when you went to school, did you defend yourself? And we'd ask that same question now. And I don't think this just applies to parents. I don't think it does. But if your kid's being bullied at school, you got two options. To me, three. One, you just sit there and take it over and over and over again. And bullies will take over and over and over again until you do something. Two, the option is stand up and tell your kid, defend yourself. Okay, don't you don't strike first. You don't start stuff, but you don't let somebody start and finish it with you doing not with you doing nothing. You don't. And the third one is. Well, you go and, and tell somebody what's happening because I support the concept of of Pink Shirt Day. I want bullying not to be in our schools, especially at the elementary school level, especially at the elementary school level. I think when I went to school, we knew once we got to high school that you'd be in bigger trouble if you if you if you physically intimidated somebody. I never got in a fight in high school. I think I got grabbed a few times and I think I did some grabbing of my own. But a fight was something that happened in elementary school. But I'll make two points about this. One, when you stood up for yourself physically, almost universally, things stopped. Things got better. You might even become friends with the kid who was bullying you. Or if I was bullying somebody, and I probably did a bit of both. This was just the generation. This was just the era. If someone stood up to me, I had a lot of respect for that. That might be some kind of psychological, who knows how warped uh, the average 10-year-old or 12-year-old boy is. <laughs> and I'm sure I had some warped moments. But that's that. I respected a kid that would stand up to me and, and come back at me and say, that's not how it's going to go. You're not going to call me that name. You're not going to make a, a comment about how I look or talk. This is what parents are telling me. And this is what I've seen in our school system. And this is what teachers are telling me as well. You can text as well as call 416-870-6400. This is what I'm hearing. There's two things going on. One, kids feel really hesitant to do this. They feel they're going to get in bigger trouble than you might imagine. Nobody got suspended. I went to maybe a more idealistic time in elementary school where nobody was ever suspended for a fight. Nobody. It never happened. I know if it did. Um, and and you knew also to let up at a certain point in time. I got pummeled by a few kids. There's no question about it. And I, I probably did my own um, element of, of pummeling also. Right or wrong. You learn your lessons. The other thing is for the teachers and the principal and vice principals. And I think they've got difficult jobs. I know they do. But I also think it's a lot of work now. Now to figure out. Who's the bully and who's the victim? If the person is just can't take it anymore, grabs another kid and throws him up against the wall and says, you've been riding me for two weeks. Well, wait a minute. Who's the bully here? It's not the kid that grabbed the other kid. He got provoked into doing it, but it's not that kid. 
So I get it. Schools are all about zero tolerance and just everybody gets punished involved in the fight. They get the same punishment if they say no and get shoved around as if they broke their attacker's nose. And I don't want that. I don't want that. But it's on parents' minds. Hey, you put your hands on another kid, you could get suspended. Happens more than once, you could get expelled. Like, if this makes sense to you, please explain it to me. My experience with bullies, you can stand up for yourself with little to no punishment. And most of us did. Kids stood up to me. I stood up to other kids. And bullies found it doesn't work so well. People stand up to me. What's that all about? And it stopped. It stopped with little intervention by the school staff. Now, remember, I went to a school, um, no weapons, no drugs, no concern about knives, no concern about guns, no nothing. Just just whatever we had on us at the time, okay? Which is basically like, like winter gloves, okay? <laughs> you might get slapped with one of those or hit with a bare fist. But these are the things. Like, are we going to have real conversations about this stuff or not? I'm curious to know whether you would encourage people to stand up to bullying. I'm all for pink shirt day. I'm all for saying you can't talk like you did 30 years ago. You can't spread rumors about kids. You can't sexually harass people. You can't threaten people. And you sure can't punch or steal or kick them or hit them, any of that stuff. But you've also got to let young people stand up for themselves. There's only a, there's only a window of time for a while where you're, you're allowed to do it. And I think that's a factor. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate it. You're an elementary school teacher. Thank you for doing that, and thanks for calling us. Hey, uh, no problem. Uh, how are you doing, Greg? I'm great. Good. Good. Uh, I, I, I agree with you in a certain romantic point of view of standing <laughs> up for yourself and whatnot, but um, what you also have to factor in is the self-esteem of the child. Uh, you have to factor in the size of the child. Uh, it, 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 it's very easy if you're a certain size, a certain demeanor, and you come from a certain background with a certain amount of confidence to uh, stand up to that guy who's, quite frankly, abusing you. You know, I, I'm, I'm tired of calling it bullying. It, it's, it's abuse. Yeah, a lot, uh, of it is, a lot of it is abuse. How many fights do you have to break up, Jason? Uh, in all honesty, I'm, I, 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 I have a certain demeanor. People know not to mess around with me on the yard. <laughs> like They know if I see it, I'm going to come down on it. So... I don't have a whole lot of fights, but you do when, when, when they don't know you're there, it's amazing what you hear. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was like you, what you were saying earlier on in my career, like, why don't you just stand up to this person? But you have to put themselves, but yourself back into their shoes back when they're 12 years old and, you know, they're trying to make friends and they're trying to fit in. And whatnot. And it's not easy for everybody. Some, not everybody's welcome with open arms. Some I know. Their uh, demeanor, whatever. And, and you know, I, I know from my own personal experiences, uh, I hate saying it, but I got a lot of bullying when I was younger. And, uh, you know, looking at it in hindsight, I wish I socked the guy in the job. But I was like, like, if I do something, if I say the wrong thing, I'm not going to be invited to the party. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There, Jason, there was a lot of that. I really appreciate you calling. Um, I know I was getting just hammered by one kid over and over again at recess, and I saw the principal within about 20 feet, a guy named uh, Mr. Lethem um, at Oxbow Elementary School, and I thought, this is my shot. I'm going to stand up to this kid right now, and, the, and he's bigger than me, and the worst that happens is I get pummeled for about 18 seconds before the principal's on top of him, and that's exa- the kid couldn't believe it. The kid couldn't believe it. This kid named Mark, he couldn't believe that I went at him. He's he's insulting me, name calling. He'll say stuff about your parents or your family or anything like that. 
and then you snap. And, and when you snap and spring into action, most times the bully can't believe it. I'm not advocating beating people to a pulp. I don't want nobody went to the hospital when I went to school. Nobody did. Maybe I'm being too idealistic about this stuff. Kevin, thanks for waiting. You're on the 640 Toronto. Go right ahead with your story. Hey, Greg, great topic today. This Thank you. is so important, and, and especially on a personal note. Um, the kids nowadays are raised in a much different way than you and I were raised, and we have to really address it on a whole new playing field. Kids are not realizing that when they're being bullied and they get into a fight, if somebody punches you, that's not bullying, that's assault, and assault is a crime. And people are forgetting that this is a crime, and they just say, oh, yeah, well, this kid's getting bullied. And the, the other big problem is kids nowadays throw words around like pedo because they watch movies. They go, oh, pedo's a funny word. I'm going to call this kid a pedo. I'm going to call this kid a rapist. Kids nickname people names that they never are. And the reason I know this is because I've got a son who was gang assaulted by 15 kids. It got up to 30 kids, and it wound up on TikTok, and it had to be taken down by the police. There are, he's done nothing. Nothing, but kids targeted him because he's a bigger kind of kid. But he also knows how to defend himself, but he's been taught not to get into fights. And you try to teach kids not to hurt each other. And what the, the playing field has changed in such a dynamic that kids nowadays, girls will walk up to a guy with the TikTok, you know, recording to TikTok. Oh. This, is the, this is their 30 I, seconds of fame, right? Yeah. And they, get, they do it on likes, and a girl will walk up to a guy in his face call him a rapist and look around for people to cheer and will continue to call him names and go, this guy's a rapist. You're, you're, bring, you're bringing this up. Do you, do you wish, could you have done anything differently? Could your son have done anything differently prior to like, you brought it up. So I, I want a Monday morning quarterback with you. Would you do anything sure. differently now? Well, the difference, the hard part is, is the schools. And I'll be honest, the schools are doing the best they can. Most schools now have a video camera every 50 feet inside their school. Right? So, if you keep your kid inside the school, they're going to be fine. But as soon as they're, you know, not necessarily in the playground, because these are high school kids, but if they leave, go outside, there's, you know, the vaping corners or there's kids just hanging out talking. Those kids, that's where the confrontations are happening. And they're, they're little chicken poops, kids, because they're not actually doing anything inside the school. They're doing it outside. And, and, but they're doing it for TikTok likes. My son got assaulted and over 30,000 kids in Ontario saw that uh. video. And 25,000 reshares of the video until the, the police took it down. And my son stood there and took it. And he took the beating and he did everything he could to get away. Because if he fought back, it would have been worse. And it started. But, but how could it? Let me ask. How could it have been? How could it have been if the first kid that touches him, he smashes them in the mouth? Because it was a girl. It was a girl who got in his face and started name calling him. And she shoved him and punched him twice. And he chose not to. He's got to shove her back. I mean, I, I know how that sounds, hold man. On. I, I do. But hold on. He pushed her back in self-defense. Yeah. On that third punch. And then boys jumped on him and the whole video went viral. Oh, God. He was, hey, hey. he was assaulted yesterday. Yesterday, again, standing no more than 20 feet outside of the school, just standing there talking to friends. Mm. And a girl looked around, made sure at least a dozen kids were recording with their phones and started yelling in his face and pointing at him and calling him names. And he just stood there and took it. And because. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, I, I got to keep moving. I, I wish I could talk to you for half an hour, man, but you know the rules and, and I can't. Uh, Darlene, I wanted to get you on. Make sure that we did. You're on 640 Toronto. Go ahead. Hi, Darlene. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Oh, that was a heavy story that he was talking. It's about. It's terrible. It, it makes me it makes me furious. And, and I want to um, 
be physical now. <laughs> With the P, I want to defend this kid. I want to swoop in like a superhero and save the day, but I can't. And these teachers can't either. That's the sad thing. Absolutely. Um, it's a lot different than when I was growing up. I feel like we were probably growing up in the same generation um, mm-hmm. where bullying wasn't so much as bullying as it was teasing. And you learn to toughen up. Everybody was like, oh, you have to have thicker skin, toughen up. The way I was raised was if somebody hits you, you hit them back. If they bite you, you back them, um, bite them back. You do exactly the same thing they do to you. And that's how you teach people how to treat you, right? Um, I teach my children the same thing. Don't go around starting crap with people. But if anybody starts something with you, finish it. Have so they, ha- have they had to get involved? Have they had to defend themselves? Yeah, my son, I remember him being in elementary school. And at that time, they were both my kids were in karate classes. So they knew how to defend themselves, but they knew never to go around just doing their moves in school or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a kid on the bus who kept bugging my kid, kept bugging my kid. My kid left, like didn't really do anything until one day he kicked my kid in the ball. Right. So my kid used a couple of his karate moves and knocked him out. The bus driver didn't say anything. He didn't stop it. Didn't say yeah. anything. Didn't do anything. The next morning, I got a call from the principal to tell me about my kid. And I was like, okay, you know what? Hold up one second. Before you call me, tell me my child. You need to call the other parent, uh, the other kid's parent, because that was the kid starting stuff. My kid's not a bully. He doesn't go around starting stuff, but he knows to defend himself. And and so and I'll and I'd say this. You know, I, I'm glad you told me that story. And I, as a parent, and I forget how supportive my parents were. They knew what I would need to do. Sometimes they knew. They were both teachers. Okay. They knew that that, that I would need to. They'd call me on my BS if they thought I started something. Like, they could sniff that stuff out. Kids really aren't as good. They're really not that good at lying. Here's the stat I get from a listener from New York State. I wish I had these for Ontario. I'd like to look them up and and get them. One in five teens report being bullied at school. That's 20%. 11% of students have been in a physical fight. What's that tell you right there? What if those numbers were reversed? What if those numbers were reversed? And again... Are, is, is she right? Is the caller right, uh, Darlene? Um, is, I'm not going to the principal because someone's spreading a rumor about me. I'm not going to the principal because I'm not getting included in, in some kind of group activities or someone's spreading gossip about me. I'm not doing that. I'm going up to that kid as a kid and I'm pushing him up against the wall and going, this stops right now. Or do you want it to escalate? Problem solved. Most of the time, problem solved. And I'll take the suspension. I'll take it. And I'd want I'd want my own kids to take it also. Jeff, I got time for you. Go right ahead. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, thanks, Greg. Yeah, gr- when I was growing up in elementary school, I got bullied all the time. I had my glasses broken. Kid punched me in the face unprovoked. He just, we're playing tag. The bell went and he punched me. He broke my glasses. And the principal said, um, why did you punch him and he, in, the, in, the, in the face? And he said, I was aiming for his chest. And that was the end of it. And my mom always <sighs> said, you just walk away. Just walk away. They'll leave you alone. Just walk away. And they don't. They don't. What, they what won't. What they do is they follow you. And this followed me into high school. I had, I got beat up. I had my, my I'd find my clothes in the toilet after gym or fill with baby powder. Oh. And this went on until grade 11. And I finally, um, I, I finally grabbed a kid when, when he went to, when he went to kick me, I grabbed his foot and I flipped him during a uh, basketball game in gym. And, and he's, he flips down on the ground. He gets up, and he's looking at me. He goes, come on. And he, but he's walking backwards. And I said, you're going the wrong way. I said, bring it. <laughs> and, and that was it. It ended. And it ends. It him. always ends. And, and Jeff, it always ends. 
Why did I have to find this out now? I, I don't I don't get it. I, I mean, again, like 38 other things, like the rolled doll books. Did we just stop somewhere and let 2.5% of the loud population, the loud vast, vast minority, tell the other 97.5% of us how it's going to be? Did we allow, like at some point, they snuck in and they changed all the rules. I'm not for beating the crap out of people. I'm not for broken noses and, and broken cheekbones. But I'm telling you that that stuff didn't happen when we went to school and bullying stopped and ceased. When I tell you there's twice as much bullying as there is kids that have gotten into fights, there's the proof right there. I bet you that data would be replicated every province, every city, every school board, every state. And it's only going in one direction.